morning, everyone. Today's scripture reading comes from Philippians chapter 4, verses 10 through 23. I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you have renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you have been concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I am not saying this is because I am in need, for I have learned to be content with this, whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. Yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. Moreover, you as Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid again and again when I was in need. Not that I am looking for a gift, but I, I am looking for what I need to credit it to your account. I have received full payment and even more. I am amply supplied now that I have received from Ephesus. That's a big word, I'm sorry. The gifts you sent. They are a fragment they are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And my God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father, be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet all the saints in Christ Jesus, the brothers who are with me, and send greetings. All the saints who send you greetings, especially those who belong to Caesar's household, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. Good morning. It's that time of year. The countdown. Thanksgiving's around the corner. A couple days. And then it's the countdown for Christmas. And I don't know if your house is like my house, but we've been getting flooded with these. Are you getting these too? We've got... Amazon, Target, L.L. Bean, Vermont Country Store, the Swiss Colony. Reminds me of when I was about his age. You have one too? Yeah. yeah? I, I don't have you don't have this one? Do you have this one? Show you. Okay, you show me which ones you have. I have this one. That one? Okay. Yeah. No, it's perfect. I couldn't have planned it. That's exactly. We used to. What do you want? What do you want? Okay, you show it while I'm talking, okay? When I was his age, we had the thing that came in the mail from Sears and Robux. Yeah, the wish book from Sears and Robux. Yeah. Um, and we couldn't wait. My brothers and I, we would get it, and we'd go straight to the toy part. And we'd look, and we'd look, and we'd fold the corners down. Yep, we'd fold the corners down and, and then strategically put it on the kitchen table or, or, you know, oh, gee, Mom, you dropped this. Here, look, look at this page. Uh, <laughs> so we always had our wishes, things that we wanted. We wanted 
someone, Santa, mom, dad, grandparents, whatever, to get us for Christmas. Stuff we didn't really need, but we wanted, right? I mean, I remember one year I wanted this Barbie thing. It was the most hideous thing in the world. It was some sort of plastic wigs that were for Barbies, but they were for me. And they were literally formed plastic, like helmets that you put on. And they were the most ugly thing, but I had to have it, and I got it. And <laughs> to be honest, I think they lasted maybe a week, and then they broke, and that was it. That happens sometimes, doesn't it? Yeah, we want something really badly. When we get it, it's not quite what we wanted. It breaks. Eh, whatever. Well, I have another book with me, too. This one. This isn't a wish book. This is a promise book. Because God has given us everything we need. He promises to give us everything we need. Everything our heart desires. Now, does that mean if I were really one of those Barbie wigs, I would have gotten them if God thought that I needed those? Well, my parents thought I needed them, so they got it for me. But God probably said, hmm, you probably should put money into something better, <laughs> like a good book. But I got those dumb Barbie wigs anyway. But God says, if we come to him and trust him, he's going to make sure we have everything we need. It may not be everything we want, because a lot of things that we want aren't really necessarily good for us. Yeah, but everything we need... <laughs> He's going to provide for us. Now, maybe I want to have, you know, this really big, wonderful something or other. And God says, no, you just need a small one. And that's okay, because I really only need the small one. I might want the big one, but I only need the small one. But God has given us so many promises that all these wish books in the world, they're just garbage. Because what we need, he will provide. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you so much that you know us so much better than we know ourselves. You know what it is that we want and what we need. And you fill those according to the promises that you've given us. You have never backed down on a promise that you've made. Your promises are true. They're eternal. Help us to trust you, to know that even though we may want things, they may not be the best for us, but you know what's best and you'll make sure we have what we need. So help us to be grateful for what we have and to trust you for what we need. In Jesus' name, amen. Did you find it? Let's pray together. Lord God, we thank you again for meeting with us here today. We ask that you will show us what you want us to see in our passage today. I pray that you will speak through me clearly and um, speak to all of our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. So that, that hymn is kind of appropriate for, I feel like, our experience together as a church. Um, I often tell you guys about my process when I write my sermons, and part of why I do that is because I want it to be clear, which it probably is, <laughs> we're really not that different. 
I don't see myself, as, I might be standing up here and it's high up, I didn't design this. Um, <laughs> but I don't, I'm not more special than you guys. We are a family together, we're a church family together, we belong to each other. And so I want you to know that sometimes the Bible calls it rightly dividing the word of truth. Sometimes it's hard for me, even though I actually have some specialized training in it. And so um, this passage was a little challenging for me, but I want to tell you something first. Before that, it's part, it was partly challenging because I'm excited about some things that I see God doing here. Um, this, this year we've been through some different kind of stuff together, but I feel like, and, and I've been through some stuff, and I have been sort of discouraged about how I do ministry a little bit, but I feel like in the last couple of months, God has been doing things and is kind of working through whatever plateau we were in this year, and it feels like we're kind of moving forward a little bit. And um, last week, we had seven visitors, which for a congregation that's not super huge yet is a lot. Um, and that was really exciting, and, and if you're not here during the week, you don't see this, but we actually interact, especially on Thursdays when Ron's out there praying, uh, we actually interact with a lot of other people that come through these doors during the week, and it feels like something is shifting, and, you know, maybe people aren't quite getting here on Sundays yet, or maybe they're not sticking around all the time, but, but something's happening. God is doing something, and I feel like one of the things that is happening, which is great, and is something that a lot of you weren't here when I first got here, and so didn't hear me say this, but some of you may remember, maybe, that I said, I would love for this congregation to actually represent what Southbridge, the demographics of Southbridge, so the ages and the types of people and the ethnic backgrounds and the economic status and all of those things, and I think that's happening here. So that's exciting to me. And if you have been here for a while, you're welcome here, and if you're brand new here, you're welcome here. This is a great place to be. But here's the thing about the cross-section of Southbridge. Southbridge used to be a wealthy town, and this used to be a wealthy church, but neither of those things are true anymore. So for this church to be representative of this town means that most of us in here are struggling in some way with physical health, and or mental health, and or food, and or housing, and or jobs. First of all, I want to say this is actually really exciting. There are not a lot of churches that have this makeup, and this is the type of people that we are the kind of people that Jesus hung out with, and that the Old Testament describes God as cherishing. If you don't feel like God cherishes you, please hear this. God cherishes you. But the human part of me, this does leave me wondering, how are we going to care for each other if we get bigger and bigger, but we don't have a lot of resources? And then I read this week's passage and I got even more concerned. <laughs> and I'll explain why in a minute. But first, I have to ask you, did anybody here notice one of the most 
misapplied, misused Bible verses. Kathleen did. I don't know. Could be. It is often used for athletics. I don't know why. <laughs> or fitness. You want to say which one it is, Kathleen? Yes. So it's verse 13, right? I'm just, I'm just checking. Am I right? Yes? Okay. So Philippians 4.13 is one of the most misused verses in the whole Bible. When I learned it as a kid, I memorized this verse, and it was in the King James Version, and it says in that version, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. And a lot of times people like to use this verse to sort of, as like a personal mantra, only it has Jesus in it. So, like, whatever hard thing I'm trying to do, I can do it through Christ who strengthens me. And that's not necessarily bad, but that is not what Paul is talking about here. <laughs> um, Paul's not talking about anything. He's speaking about a very specific thing. In the NIV, this is a little bit clearer that he's not, in this particular situation, he's not talking about absolutely every hard thing that we ever try to do. He's talking about a specific thing. In the NIV, the newer NIV, not the Pew Bibles, it says, I can do all thing, all this through him who gives me strength. And this, in this sentence, is operating a little bit like therefore. What is this that he's talking about? What he is talking about is being content whether he is well off financially or materially or whether he is poor whether his physical needs are provided for him or not. And he's right. The only way, I don't know if you've ever tried to, if you've ever been super broke and tried to be content in your own strength. I can't do it. I freak out. I worry about it. Last week's verses about don't be anxious about anything, out the window. <laughs> Forget it. Um, it is only through Jesus' strength that you can learn to be content no matter what your material status is. So, to give, with that verse in mind and what it actually means, of being content in all, all physical, material circumstances, and since I was already wondering, how are we going to take care of each other here, with prices skyrocketing and winter coming and some of us facing loss of income and some of us struggling to find jobs and some of us already borderline with our housing, and I started to get really nervous about preaching this passage because what this passage sounded like to me and what I suspect some people teach it like is that the Apostle Paul, this is what it sounds like to me. The Apostle Paul is saying, to the Philippian church, finally, you guys sent me some money. Not that I really need your money, because I know how to be content with nothing. But still, it's good for you to send me money, and if you plant this seed, God will bless you. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> okay, so it kind of is what it says. Um, Definitely that's what it sounds like to me, and there are pastors out there who will tell you, you know, you give this money and you'll 
you'll be blessed and you'll start to drive a Mercedes like I do. I don't drive a Mercedes. I drive a Camry. Um, maybe it's not just that verse that gets misinterpreted or misapplied, but the whole passage. I don't know. Anyway, if that was what the passage was really saying, this was not a message that I wanted to give, especially not here. I don't want to tell you to give what you don't have and guarantee that you will receive a material blessing. And I also don't want to tell you to suck it up and be content if you're struggling with money and housing and health and food right now. On the other hand, it is important for God's people, all God's people, no matter what our level of material wealth is, to be generous. That, the Bible really does say that. And it really is true that when God's people trust him with their resources and needs, he finds ways to take care of us. We have actually already seen this at this church. When this congregation called me in 2019, you gave me a contract that said, if we have not gotten out of our financial hole by the end of the year, we are closing our doors. Some of you may not know that. By the end of the year, we were out of a very large financial hole, and this is almost five years later. In 2020, when, we, when everything was exploding, and the government was offering businesses financial assistance, the admin board thought, Maybe we should apply for this. And then together, we discerned, nope, we don't want to be beholden to the government for money. We are going to just trust that God is going to pr provide for us. And God really, in 2020 especially, God really provided. God honored that. When we got here, um, we were doing, you know how Bernice does the moments for missions? And... So we would have those, but you would, you would all get a little envelope in your bulletin. So not only were you giving your offering for the regular offering and the deacon's fund, but then we were saying, and also we have this other offering that has to do with the American Baptists and their missions, and please give us some more money. And that would mean that we would get less money in the church. Now we actually give a percentage of your offerings to missions. And we are giving more to missions as a church than we were and our own finances are better. So I'm saying this to let you know that God really does, when God's people give generously, individually and as a group, God will honor that. That is for sure. But he might not give you a Mercedes. <laughs> um, and... So I just wasn't really sure what to do with this passage, and then two things happened. I actually read a commentary. Sometimes I do that. I don't always. Um, and I had a conversation with a friend who works for a rich church that is not generous. She works for this church and can barely make ends meet for herself. This church is full of doctors and lawyers and judges and people who make a ton of money and don't go to church when they're when there's something better to do, and don't disciple their kids at home, and 
I was reminded that through most of my life, the most generous people I've known have been the ones with the least. Across the board. And that we can do all this through Christ, only through Christ, but for sure through Christ who strengthens us. He is good and he provides plenty. So maybe, I thought to myself, after this conversation and after reading a commentary, this passage is especially for us. Let's see what God has to say to this congregation that he likes so much that he first said through Paul to another congregation, which he also liked so much. So we need a little bit, to understand this passage, we need a little bit of historical context. Um, so you guys remember, where is Paul right now in this, when he's writing this letter? Exactly. He's in prison, <coughs> probably in Ephesus, doesn't really matter. Before that, he was traveling around. He didn't stay in one place very long, unless he was locked up. And so, <laughs> and, and he usually got locked up, if you don't know about the Apostle Paul, it was because he was preaching about Jesus and people didn't like that. <coughs> and so, <coughs> this chapter indicates that he hasn't seen or heard from the Philippian Christians in a long time, and I don't know why I needed to be reminded of this, but I did. There was no internet to let him know how they were doing. <laughs> there was not even a mail service. There was not even a Pony Express. They didn't have that. So, as N.T. Wright, whose commentary I read, points out, there was no way to know, for the Apostle Paul to know, while he is stuck in prison, whether this particular congregation is doing okay or not. especially if they're doing okay spiritually. And if they were still grateful for the fact that he had brought them the gospel because he's talked to them about persecution, they're already experiencing persecution, and maybe they resent him for telling them about Jesus. Because now they're in this mess, he's in this mess, maybe they don't like that. He doesn't know. And then they sent this guy, Epaphroditus, to him with a very generous gift. This is another thing that I never thought about before, but N.T. Wright mentioned this would have been a generous gift because you wouldn't send a human being to bring another human being in prison a hundred bucks. It would have to be a lot to make it worth it. So the gift itself and the generosity behind it shows the Apostle Paul that these Philippian Christians are okay, and also they're not mad at him. In fact, they love him, and they're trying to take care of him. He is super grateful for the gift, first of all, because it actually really helps him, but also because of his close relationship with Jesus and learning to rely completely on Jesus' strength and not his own, he really doesn't care as much about the gift itself as he cares about what it says about the Philippian Christians. And what it says to him is they really are becoming like Jesus. Jesus, as Paul told us in chapter 2, gave up all his rights, all his glory, his very life for us. And Jesus did this to become one of us, to share in our experience and our struggle. People who are becoming like Jesus will grow in compassion for others. 
and won't keep themselves back from others or make false distinctions between themselves and others. In verse 14, Paul says, Yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. The Philippian Christians can't go to wherever this prison is and like all cram themselves into the prison cell with Paul, and why would they bother? Like That's not going to help anything. But they can share in his troubles by giving generously out of their resources to provide for him. Jesus, another way that, um, that Paul described what Jesus did and is seeing what Jesus did in the lives of these Philippians is Jesus never turned back from the way of the cross. He didn't turn away from that major challenge or change his character. He kept going. In Hebrews it says, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And so people who are living, who are becoming like Jesus, live at the level they have achieved, which is what Paul told the Philippians to do in chapter 3. And they they live in the level that they're in of faith, and they keep pressing forward toward Jesus, trying to become more and more like him in character and in action. So in verse 15, Paul says, Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out for Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. It's interesting that he points out Thessalonica because in that place, he wrote some letters to the church there too. And in those, one of those, there's two letters, I don't remember if it's first or second, but one of them, he says, whoever, to the people in Thessalonica, whoever doesn't eat, whoever doesn't work shouldn't eat. And he's not taking into a, account extenuating circumstances and things like that, but he, there were apparently some Christians in that town who were basically spongers, and they weren't doing anything productive or helping or living the life of Christ in any way, and just taking and taking and taking and taking and never giving. And so, in order to provide a good example to those particular Christians the Apostle Paul did not have to live on support like he usually did. He made tents, like a job, and he sold them so that he could show these people who were just sitting around being entitled, you got to work for what you, for what you eat. You got to take care of yourselves and take care of other people and not just expect everything to be handed to you. So Paul's saying, you Philippians are so generous that even when I was actually making something physical to sell so I could show these people how to have a job, you still sent me money. This is how generous these people are. The Philippians cared enough about Paul and his ministry to support him financially even when he was, in some way, supporting himself with, like, a secular job. Jesus' self-giving love is the perfect template for generosity. And so, people who are becoming like Jesus become increasingly generous. In verse 17, he says, Not that I desire your gifts. What I desire is that more be credited to your account. This sounds a little bit like he's saying you can kind of balance the good-bad scales, like some religions teach, and you can earn your salvation. And let me just 
if you just give, you're going to get more, more credit. It's going to be better for you. He's not talking about building up an account of good deeds so they can balance out the bad deeds so you can make sure you keep your salvation or earn your salvation. But he's sort of using a metaphor of accounting, implying that there is something of a balance sheet as far as where we, where we live in relation to our faith or how we live in relation to our faith, where, how we work out our salvation with fear and trembling, as Paul said earlier, or as this Paul said, how we treat our salvation with the respect it deserves, or how we don't. It's, or we, we don't earn our salvation, but we can live it or not. And so he's saying, I, I don't, the gift is not as important to me as the fact that you're giving it shows that you are becoming more like Christ. Your account is more Christ-like. These Philippians are becoming more like Christ. Their generosity with Paul consistently proves it. But it seems like he hadn't received a gift from them in a while, and so that was why he was like, mm, I hope these guys are okay. So now he's got their gift, and he is grateful, he is rejoicing, mostly because he knows these people are still growing in their relationship with Jesus. Verse 18, I have received full payment, and I have more than enough. I am amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice pleasing to God. When Paul received this latest gift from the church, who had given him so much before, he was overjoyed because it helped him, but even more so because it showed what was true about these Philippian Christians. When they offered their gift to Paul, they were really offering it to God as all of them were united in Jesus. And so, because of their union with Jesus, because of their pressing on toward the prize, which is Jesus, they can rely on Jesus' strength to be content, to be generous. When they, whether they have plenty or whether they are just scraping by, and they can trust God to provide what they truly need, most often through God's own people. Whether it was in their, within their own congregation or other churches in the area, God provides for his people through his people. So as we become more like Jesus, individually and as a congregation, he will ask us to give generously because that's how, that is what he did in Jesus Christ, and that's how he works, through the generosity of his people and himself. But he won't just ask one person to carry the whole load. He will ask us to do this together, caring for each other and for his people outside our doors, like the Philippians cared for the Apostle Paul. And he will enable us to do this as we trust him and cooperate with his spirit. In verses 19 and 20, Paul says, And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. To God our Father, to, to our God and Father, be glory forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Lord God, we ask that you will help us to live up to the measure of our faith, and that as we do that, you will increase our faith. We ask that you will show us 
great and marvelous things that we couldn't have imagined. You've already done that here, and we ask that you will continue to provide the people and the resources, and especially the spiritual growth in Christ, um, that when people meet us, they will meet Jesus, they will think of Jesus, they will be drawn to Jesus. We ask this in your name. Amen.